0: Arena by ScribCrib Publishing, is based off the work by Alex Verrault to The Land of Arena. For more information, you can visit our website, ScribCrib.com. Buck was smiling from ear to ear as he kept both of his hands firmly on the wheel of the transport. Stirring up dust behind them, the transport raced as quickly as it could back to Soda City, where they were expecting a hero's welcome. Reginald Mitten, a man who had thwarted Poe since the construction of Eden and the subterranean cities, was now in their custody. Do you think they're going to throw us a parade? He asked to Ancient beside him, who was just as giddy and excited as he was. A parade? I doubt it. There are too many in the streets who are sympathetic to Mitten and the rest of the syndicate scumbags, answered Ancient. Could we maybe get a few days off? That might be more in the cards. Buck laughed heartily as he kept his eyes on the remnants of the road that they were traveling on. Asphalt still existed, though after twelve years of no maintenance and constant exposure to the sun's violent radiation, the terrain was not ideal. Fortunately, the ground transports were built with top-of-the-line shocks and suspensions. In the event they found a pothole, they'd barely feel it. Cron leaned back in his chair in the back of the transport and closed his eyes, trying to listen to what was happening behind him. Mitten laid in the back of the transport with his hands firmly secured behind his back, a chain connecting the shackles on his wrists to those on his ankles. Though outnumbered four to one, and woken from a catatonic state, Mitten was being treated with extreme caution. He was laying on his side with his head against the hard, metal floor of the transport. The hum of the engine was loud, but Cron could still hear Mitten muttering several words to himself, words that gave the commander of the small battalion pause. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming, Mitten muttered repeatedly. Kron closed his eyes and exhaled through his nostrils, trying his best to rationalize what Mitten was muttering on about. He knew Mitten was insane, and that it could be worse since Mitten was constantly exposed to the elements on the surface, but he worried what he meant and what he and the rest of the syndicate had in store for Eden. Victor threw a hard right hand at Justin's head, making a hard impact and sending him falling to the canvas of the boxing rink. His gloves, covered in sweat and torn from years of abuse, covered his hardened hands and protected his fallen comrade from further injury. On his back, Justin looked up at the lights on the ceiling and signaled for submission with his hands. Dude, you were supposed to turn the chip off, he said slowly, dazed from the hard punch. Victor, a towering man with blonde, shaggy hair and a scarred face, stood over his opponent and stretched out his hand. I did, he replied. Justin chuckled as he latched onto Victor's hand to rise to his feet, staggering from the battle and regaining his composure. Justin was a smaller man but very fit with short, bristly black hair and pale skin. Justin careened his neck and stretched out his muscles, still feeling the effects from Victor's vicious punch. His friend had seen a great deal of trauma and strife since coming to Eden twelve years ago, with his life nearly coming to an end in a heinous riot. The Syndicate, an organization that operates in the underbelly of Eden and manages to thrive on the surface of Earth, arranged for the masses of Soda City to rebel against their protectors. During the riot, Victor was crushed underneath a fallen building. His will was unmatched as he clung for life though. Several of his organs were barely functioning and his muscular structure was in tatters. Many of his bones were shattered, but that didn't deter him. Victor was determined to survive and continue to serve Poe. Once back at headquarters at the top of the plate, and with the help of one of his dear friends and a plethora of technology available, Victor was infused with advanced cybernetics. The chips on Victor's back regulated his organs and made them functional, while also hardening his muscles and bones. Any punch or kick from Victor when his chip was operating at maximum capacity was deadly. However, when he operated at maximum capacity, It took away from the functionality of his organs. The height of Victor's power came with a hefty cost. If he expended too much, he'd perish. He had to be careful and manage his resources. He had to rest regularly and not overextend himself too often. Justin winced as he tried to regain his composure. Perhaps you should let the doc take a look then and make sure everything is working as it should. That punch was a bit harder than normal. Victor laughed and walked over to the corner of the ring. He picked up a small bottle of water and took a sip while shaking his head at Justin. Or perhaps your face is just a bit squishier now," he joked while squirting the contents of the bottle directly into his mouth. The doors to the gym flew open violently, grabbing the attention of both men in the boxing ring. "'Gentlemen,' announced Captain Preo as he walked into the training area. "'You two will have to finish your workout later.' Victor turned around to see his superior standing in the doorway. "'Captain Preo,' said Victor as he leapt out of the boxing ring and walked toward his commander. "'We are on our break.' Captain Louis Preo, a tall, dark-skinned man of African descent, emerged from the hallway and entered the training area. He had large eyes that were always open wide like an owl. His mouth was not often found holding a smile for long periods of time either, even when it did. It never reached up past his eyes or made him look warm or inviting. "'Your break is over, Victor,' he said in a very plain tone without acknowledging Victor's statement at all. "'Both of you should suit up immediately and await the arrival of our newest prisoner.' Victor turned to Justin and shook his head in disbelief. "'Sir, this is a bit much,' he continued. We shouldn't have to suit up for the arrival of another prisoner. The jails are full of them already. What makes this guy so important? Captain Preo smirked and turned around. Reginald Mitten will be arriving in 20 minutes, he said, walking out of the training area and leaving the two soldiers stunned. Mitten, asked Justin as he walked toward Victor. We caught Mitten. I thought he was on the surface and was left for dead. Victor smirked and shrugged his shoulders slightly. The surface isn't a death sentence like everyone makes it out to be. With the right precautions, you can survive there. Victor sighed loudly, followed by a wry grin. I suppose our superiors felt he was better suited in a prison. The two made their way out of the main portion of the gym and over to the locker room. The door of a square metal locker swung open and shook the slightest bit. A spray of white mist, smelling like iron rust, shot out in front of Justin's face. His leather gloves were folded carefully and placed on top of his discarded shirt. Victor tossed his shirt to the ground next to Justin as he removed the last vestiges of his own uniform and laid it over the back of a vacant bench. He turned around slowly as if presenting himself for inspection. Is this okay? He asked as Justin drew closer to him, examining the jagged scars that peppered his broad back. It's looked worse, replied Justin as he turned to gather his belongings from the locker. Victor nodded. Let me know when you're ready. Justin smiled awkwardly and stood beside Victor at attention for a moment before they reached into their lockers and pulled out matching uniforms identical to each other except for the different sizes. Victor was required to wear two sets of gear. An underset to protect the chips in his back, and then an overset to match the rest of Poe. Uniformity was the norm in the Protectors of Eden, something that was drilled into them from the days in their academy. Once ready, they put their matching sets on quickly, just as they were trained. Having changed together so many times before, this was second nature to these two soldiers now. I really wish they would update this garb a bit, quipped Victor as he laced up his boots. Justin shifted his gaze slightly over to his ally. How so? he questioned slightly. Do you not like how we all match? Victor chuckled and shook his head. It's not that, he answered defensively. It's just restrictive and prevents me from really unleashing all my strength. Justin snorted at this comment. Just because you can punch through a concrete wall doesn't mean you're strong, he replied back, carefully folding all ten of his uneven fingers up towards his palm. Your body still takes the abuse. Victor shrugged his shoulders and closed his locker, turning around to face Justin once more. They don't care about me breaking or bruising anyway. They're only worried about if I die. Justin laughed loudly at this comment and secured the last strap of his uniform-issued boots while listening to Victor continue saying how much easier it is for them, the scientists and cybernetic engineers, if he's willing to participate in their experiments. He looked over everything Vic was saying that was true with a slight hint of pride, pride in being able to follow orders without hesitation, no matter what it meant for themselves during the end. They were a great team, one of the best in Soda City, if not the entirety of Eden. The two left the locker room and walked down the hallway to find their captain waiting patiently by the door. As they waited along with several other post soldiers, Victor and Justin stood toward the back as they looked on as the doors opened, revealing both Kron and Buck cheering with their weapons held high. Fitting that they come in first for the praise, said Victor under his breath, prompting a quick snicker from Justin. Accepting the praise and cheers from their comrades, Buck and Kron basked in their glory and praise from their peers with few signs of humility following behind them. Following the two heroes was their victim, Reginald Mitten, being escorted out by Red and Ancient, the other two members of the battalion. His hands were shackled together with a long chain leading down to his shackled feet. With the soldiers staring him down closely, he walked behind the two heroes toward the new prisoner holding area where his new journey would begin. The door opened to reveal a room with a silver table and a single silver chair. He was led in and forced to stand in front of the captain while his chains were fastened to the concrete floor. Captain Preo strode confidently into the room with Victor and Justin following closely behind. He stood tall, his shoulders back, looking down at the much shorter Reginald Mitten, who was seated in a chair facing them. "'Reginald, how good of you to join us,' announced Captain Preo as he adjusted his uniform and gestured for the other two men to take their positions. The air of authority and power in the room was palpable as Captain Preo began speaking. "'We're going to skip to some of the technicalities and go straight into business if that's alright with you.' Min remained still, staring off at the wall, breathing heavily enough for everyone to hear. So you're going to breathe heavier, asked the captain rhetorically, is that your answer? Minton slowly looked up, blinking a few times as if waking himself from a trance, and met Captain Preo's gaze. My answer, he repeated quietly. Yes, what is your answer to the accusations of genocide, continued the captain, his voice stern and unyielding. Minton smirked and shook his head. I don't know what you're talking about, captain, he said, prompting Preo to turn toward Justin and Victor. Following a quick glance at one another and a small smirk, Preo swung his shoulder around and quickly punched Mitten in the face, sending him backwards in his chair and falling backwards to the ground. "'He'll have a hard time talking if he can't move his jaw, sir,' announced Justin as he watched Mitten roll around on the ground, still chained to the floor. "'Oh, I think he'll be able to talk just fine, Justin,' remarked the captain. "'It's not like Victor over there took a swing at him.'" Victor chuckled at the captain's remark. He had always admired Captain Preo's tenacity and his quick thinking in tight situations. Victor stepped forward, his eyes glinting with cruel intent, as he bent down to grab Mitten by the hair, only for his victim to roll over onto his knees. Mitten looked up at the three Poe soldiers, smirking as he wiped the blood off his lips. You're in over your head, Captain, Mitten stated coldly. Everyone in this underground labyrinth will perish within the coming days. Captain Preyo rubbed his fist as he walked over to Mitten, as he rose up to his knees. Excuse me, he asked as he reached down and grabbed Mitten by his lapel. You heard me, continued Mitten harshly every one of you will perish." Victor walked up and grabbed Mitten from the grasp of the captain. "'Sir, if you hit him again, the cowards upstairs may see fit to release him due to unsafe conditions.' "'He's right, sir. We'd be better off throwing him in a cell before someone finds out you took a swing at him,' agreed Justin." Preo seethed while keeping his eyes trained on their prisoner. "'I want to know how we're all going to die,' said Preo as he stepped aside as two other soldiers entered the room to escort Mitten to the holding cells. Mitten cackled with joy as the two soldiers grabbed him roughly by his arms and started to drag him away from the room. "'Because his brother is coming,' he bellowed, looking back into the room with an evil gleam in his eyes. "'His brother is coming to finish what he couldn't.' Justin and Victor shivered in fear as Mitten's haunting laughter echoed through the air. The captain glared at them, his face etched in pure terror as the two boys slowly comprehended the full scope of the situation. "'His brother!' Justin whispered in horror. "'What kind of monster have we stumbled upon here?' Secure him now, Prego barked before turning away toward Mitten's holding cell, leaving Justin and Victor standing motionless in shock, trying to grapple with the sinister implications at what they had just encountered. Was Mitten simply mad, or was there something truly sinister bubbling within the serene world that had been created for them? Karaki Newt's ice-blue, cybernetic eyes glinted in the dim light of the cavern as she surveyed the crater. The rugged sanctuary, carved into the heart of the dying Earth, was their home and it hummed with the dark energy that seemed to pulse through her veins. She and her comrades, Erolt, Dak, Zybek, Abel, and Radok, had just returned from their latest mission and the air was heavy with relief, exhaustion, and an unspoken tension. Let's get this gear stowed away, Karaki said, her voice slow and urgent as they moved to unload their borrowed equipment from Mirdok and the rest of the Syndicate. Her muscular arms flexed as she hoisted a crate filled with weapons and armor. We need to report back. Agreed, Earl grunted as he deposited his own load into another crate with a thud. His green eyes flickered over to the first building within the cavern, a tavern that promised solace in the form of Hooch. He shared a knowing look with Abel, who raised an eyebrow. But first, I think we could all use a drink. Radox snorted, her piercing green eyes narrowing. Speak for yourself, she muttered, tightening her ponytail before turning to Karaki. I'd rather not dull my senses just yet. Me neither, Karaki agreed, casting a disapproving glance at her brothers Uralt and Abel. Wasn't the survival of their people more important than indulging in vices? They had narrowly escaped the clutches of Poe on their last mission, and Karaki couldn't shake the feeling that danger still lurked around every corner. You two go ahead, though. We'll inform Murdoch. Suit yourself, Abel said with a shrug, heading toward the tavern alongside Uralt. But if you change your mind, we'll be at our usual table. Come on, Radok, Karaki sighed watching as Dak and Zybek disappeared into their respective domiciles to rest. She couldn't blame them. They had all pushed themselves to the brink on this mission, but there was still much to do before she could allow herself to relax. Let's get this over with. As they made their way through the crater, the weight of their situation began to press down on Karaki like the very walls of the cavern that surrounded them. The Syndicate had trusted her team to carry out this operation, and now they were returning empty-handed. It was an ambush and a setup. Something that was not uncommon in the wastelands of Earth, but usually something they could sniff out before it was too late. Would Mirdoc understand? Would he have answers? Or would he just send them back out into the cold, unforgiving world with nothing but a new mission to keep them company? Karaki's ice-blue, cybernetic eyes scanned the ever-changing landscape of the crater as she and Radok navigated through the labyrinth network of caverns that opened up into a vast chamber. The walls were a blend of rough-hewn rock illuminated by the soft glow of neon lights lining the paths between the buildings. With this subterranean refuge, life thrived in defiance of the oppressive surface world. It also existed against the wishes of Eden. Did you see the look on Captain Wodek's face when Earl got the better of him? Radok asked, her voice echoing softly off the stone walls. Karaki smirked at the memory. He fought well, I'll give him that. But even the best can't stand against my brother. It's true, Radok agreed her piercing green eyes reflecting the neon hues. But what if Poe retaliates? We've never encountered resistance like that before. Then we'll deal with it, Karaki replied, her tone darkening. We can't let them dictate our lives, not after everything we've been through. The path they traversed wound through various domiciles and establishments that had been carved out into the very rock itself. A bustling market stood to their left, the scent of spices and cooked meats wafting through the air. Despite the veneer of normalcy, an undercurrent of tension vibrated beneath the surface. The Syndicate's presence was felt everywhere, from the guards stationed at key points to the whispered conversations of terrified citizens. "'Sometimes I wonder if there will ever be an end to this war,' Radok mused, her voice barely audible over the clamour of the market. "'It seems like we're always fighting for survival.' "'Until they stop hunting us, we have no choice,' Karaki replied, her jaw clenched. "'But we won't let them break us. We're stronger than they think.' "'Damn right,' Radok agreed, her voice firm. As they approached Mirdoch's chambers, the tension in the air grew palpable. The guards standing outside the entrance fixed their gazes on Karaki and Radok, evaluating them with scrutinizing eyes. Karaki couldn't help but feel a flicker of unease. Would Mirdok be understanding about their failed mission, or would he simply cast them aside like so many before them? Ready, Radok asked, her breath hitching ever so slightly. Let's do this, Karaki replied, steeling herself for whatever lay ahead. They stepped forward into the unknown, ready to face whatever consequences awaited them. The door to Mirdoch's chambers opened with a low creak, revealing the dimly lit interior. Radok and Karaki stepped into the room, their eyes adjusting to the darkness as they took in the scene before them. Mirdoch, the mayor of the crater and syndicate ambassador, sat at the far end of the room, his grizzled features illuminated by the amber glow of a whiskey glass he held in one hand. Ah, our intrepid duo, though I was hoping the rest of your team would be with you. Mirdok greeted them with an air of nonchalance. Join us for a drink, won't you?" Karaki hesitated for a moment, her cybernetic eyes taking in the details of the room. The chamber was adorned with various trinkets and relics, remnants of a world long gone. She could sense the weight of history pressing down upon her, a sobering reminder of the choices they'd made and the sacrifices they continued to endure. "'Thanks, but we've got news about the mission,' Karaki replied, her voice steady and composed. "'Let me guess, it didn't go exactly as planned,' Mirdock asked, his tone laced with sarcasm. Something like that, Radoch chimed in, rubbing her hands together nervously. It was a setup. Explain, Mirdock, demanded, taking a sip of his drink. Karaki straightened her back, her mind racing through the events of the mission. She took a deep breath and began recounting the events, focusing on Captain Wodek's role. Captain Aaron Wodek led the assault against us, she said, her voice hardening at the mention of the man's name. He fought with tenacity and skill, but ultimately Earlt managed to beat him. Mirdok raised an eyebrow, clearly intrigued by this development, so the great Captain Wodek has finally met his match. Perhaps, Karaki conceded, but he managed to escape somehow, and we returned to the crater unharmed. Interesting, Mirdok mused, swirling the whiskey in his glass. I suppose that's something of a silver lining in all of this, isn't it? At least you made it back alive. Alive? Yes, Karaki agreed, her thoughts turning to the consequences of their failed mission. But for how long? Ah, ever the pessimist. Mirdok chided, but I understand your concern. We must remain vigilant against the Poe, especially now. Indeed, Radok nodded solemnly. Nevertheless, I appreciate your efforts, Mirdok said, raising his glass in a toast. You've proven yourselves once again to be an invaluable asset to the Syndicate, even if the mission ended in failure. Karaki could feel the weight of those words settling upon her shoulders, heavy with expectation and responsibility. She knew that the choices they'd made had led them down this path, and there was no turning back now. Thank you, she replied quietly, accepting the praise with a mixture of pride and trepidation. Rest up, Mirdok advised, his eyes meeting hers with an intensity that sent shivers down her spine. You'll need your strength for whatever comes next. Radek and Karaki both nodded and began to turn, when Karaki halted and sighed loudly. Her ice-blue, cybernetic eyes locked onto Mirdok's as she asked the question that had been gnawing at her since their return. Did you know about the setup? Mirdok's bushy beard twitched with irritation as he shook his head. I assure you I knew nothing of it, he said, his voice laden with sincerity. We need the food those transports carry. Wasting human resources on a setup is far from ideal. The mayor's words rang true in Karaki's ears, but the doubt still lingered like a cloud over her thoughts. She exchanged a glance with Radok, who seemed to be grappling with similar uncertainty. Nevertheless, Mirdoch continued, his tone apologetic, I'm sorry for the trouble this mission has caused you. The syndicate has another task that requires your expertise. Karaki hesitated, her mind racing through the potential consequences of taking on yet another mission at this critical juncture. Radok spoke up, echoing her thoughts. We appreciate the offer, but we cannot accept. There's too much heat on us now. Captain Wodek's escape won't go unnoticed. True, Karaki added, a possible solution forming in her mind. But Dak and Zybek went unnoticed during our failed mission. They could take on this new task for the Syndicate. Ah yes, Dak and Zybek, Mirdock mused, stroking his beard thoughtfully. They could be valuable assets in this situation. Very well. We'll reach out to them. You two take time to rest and recover. You've earned it." "'Thank you, Myrdok,' Karaki replied, relief washing over her as they were granted a brief reprieve from the dangers of their line of work." With a final nod and a tight smile, Karaki and Radok departed Mirdoch's chambers, the weight of their decision still heavy upon them. As they made their way through the dimly lit caverns toward the tavern where Urald and Obolt awaited, Karaki's thoughts turned to her siblings. Arolt may have bested Captain Wodek this time, she mused quietly, her voice echoing off the cave walls, but our enemies seemed to be growing bolder by the day. Indeed, Radok agreed, her tone somber, it's only a matter of time before we'll have to face the consequences of our actions again, not just as individuals, but as allies of the Syndicate. The seriousness of their situation hung over them like a shroud, even as they approached the lively tavern. They knew that each decision they made, each mission they undertook, had far-reaching consequences in their dystopian world. And yet, they were driven by loyalty, a need to survive, and a hope that one day they might find a way to break free from the endless cycle of violence born from humanity's quest for power and control. Hey, thanks for listening to Erina. For more information on Erina and any other of our audio dramas and products, please visit us at ScribCrib.com, or you can check us out on Facebook, Reddit, or Twitter.